Good afternoon. Welcome to the Embedded Executive Podcast. My name is Rich Nass. I am the Executive Vice President of Open Systems Media. I lead the Embedded IoT teams for Embedded Computing Design. My Embedded Executive this week is Vijit Sinha. He is the Chief Product Officer for Wind River. How are you today? I'm doing great, Rich. Great to be talking to you. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully you'll have that same... Uh, Attitude when, when we're done here. <laughs> I promise not to ask any questions that are all that difficult, but we'll see where we go. Um, you guys are very much into the thick of autonomous vehicles. So let's start there. Um, where are we today with the, I'll say state of the art, maybe a, just a half a smidge back from state of the art in, into what's actually real with autonomous vehicles today? Because we hear so much hype and I'll, I'll say the media is guilty of a lot of the hype and I get lumped in with that and I try not to do that. But what what is actually really going on with, with autonomous vehicles now? Now, thanks for the question, Rich. And I think it's a great question because uh, indeed there is a lot of hype around this. Um, as with any new technology, uh, you know, it goes through uh, what Gartner calls the hype cycle. And uh, the technology has a tremendous amount of promise. A lot of people jump in, uh, they expect a lot out of it, and then it takes some time for the technology to mature and then for it to truly manifest its uh, value. And I think autonomous uh, driving technology is going through that same uh, uh, set of stages. Uh, and why do I say that? Uh, you asked the question around state of art. So the state of art is not what really gets talked about in the media around robot taxis and fully autonomous vehicles. That is certainly a frontier. And I think a lot of brave companies are engaging in that and doing an admirable job there. But as we all know, there's a lot of challenges associated with that public safety, confidence and such. But to your point about state of art, where the state of art is the following, uh, there are levels of autonomy. There is full autonomy and then there are lower levels of autonomy that offer a tremendous amount of value to customers in terms of safety, not just for the occupant of the vehicle, but for people on the street as well. And this is technologies like autonomous, uh, you know, automatic braking, um, automatic cruise control, uh, speed control, uh, looking at, uh, you know, bicycles and passengers and navigating uh, the vehicle in a manner that is safe for the occupant and uh, the folks on the street. And so there are a lot of technologies that are based on radar, on camera and uh, speed control that are there in vehicles today that are actively saving lives and not putting people at risk. And that is really the state of the art. Now the frontier is really full autonomous. And I think there is a journey there and a lot of us are moving in that direction. And that frontier and that uh, future will be realized. You know, as Bill Gates said, we often overestimate what's gonna happen in the uh, next two years, but we underestimate what's gonna happen in the next 10 years. You're quoting Bill Gates, huh? Okay, that's pretty interesting. Um... So you're actually making me think of this in a different way, because when I think of what I think what a lot of people think of autonomous, they think of fully autonomous. And what you're saying is actually very accurate that we shouldn't be thinking always about fully autonomous. There are so many other steps along the way. And adaptive cruise control is a really good example of autonomous, but that's not really what people think of. I was in Phoenix not too long ago, and I, I saw some of those Waymo cars where, that are literally driving themselves. And that's what I really think of when I think of what, what autonomous is. So 
your specialty is obviously on the software side, at least when Rivers especially is on the software side. Is 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 this more of a software waiting for the hardware to be ready? Is it vice versa? Is it a combination? It's a combination. Uh, look, any, any scenario is going to require optimization, both in the hardware and the software to fully realize the scenario. Hardware has a lot of capability in terms of you know, CPUs and GPUs and workload and acceleration of the software. And then software has the ability to have faster evolution cycles. Hardware is controlled in terms of what you can evolve over a fixed period of time, but software does not have that constraint. So it's a combination of software and hardware innovation that needs to come about in order to fully realize the scenario. Is, is it fair that in most when most systems are deployed, there's a little bit of wiggle room to have to reboot? In 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 a car, you you don't have that ability. You know, if if you go astray and and you cause an accident, that seems to be like the end of the world as far as the media is concerned. Whereas, um, you know, if a factory needs to reboot a piece of, of equipment or something like that, it's, it, is, it isn't as dire. Is it fair, the standard that we hold automobiles to? Absolutely, look, lives are at stake. So there, there must be the highest standard of safety uh, applied there. And this is really where mission critical systems come into play, where safety critical software needs to work on resilient hardware, but also resilient software. But you have to account for the fact that failure will happen and therefore you build a redundant systems such that the system at large does not cause the human in the equation to be put in harm's way, right? So you have hardware optimization, you have software optimization, you have hardware resiliency, you have software resiliency, and then you have software and hardware redundancy, such that the system at large never puts the human at risk. So where does Wind River stand in, in all of this? You know, we've talked a lot of bit about, you know, what needs to happen on the hardware side, how it happens on the software side. What's Wind River's stake in the ground at this point? Yeah. Look, as a company, our core competency is in two areas. Our ability to build software and provide software to our customers to build mission-critical systems that have mixed criticality and safety uh, built into it. So that's on the edge side. The other area where we have competency is in the cloud, where we enable our customers to do cloud develop, uh, embedded software development in the cloud at cloud scale, at cloud speed. And that is extremely important because to build the mission critical systems of tomorrow, you need large scale development teams that are ge geographically distributed who need to be able to collaborate on software development in a very productive and efficient manner, economically and from a productivity standpoint uh, across the globe. And so both those things have to come together. And the third thing that has to come together is when you have an edge to cloud system, you need the ability to develop in the cloud and deploy at the edge and have to have a continuous cycle of improvement and deployment and development across the two. And so that's really where we specialize and that's what we bring to market with our edge systems around our real-time operating system, VxWorks and Hypervisor and Linux. And then we our Windows Studio offering in the cloud that enables our customers to derive value out of edge computing technology, cloud technology, and the combination of that that is needed for building these mission critical systems. Okay, one more for you. We often tell people that you are going to be hacked and there's pretty much no way around that. So it's really important that you design your system such that when the inevitable does happen, uh, you minimize the damage. 
Are we saying the same thing about an automobile? Should we expect to be hacked? And are, should we designing it such that we minimize the damage? Or are, are we designing such that we want to make these things impenetrable? Look, I think the design has to be as robust as it can be. But the operating assumption has to be the system will always have some vulnerability that will be subject to hacking or a, a vulnerability will be uh, detected. The question then becomes, as you said, the ability for the organization to react and remediate that in due course of time, such that you mitigate and minimize the degree of damage that may occur by virtue of that vulnerability. So software is not infallible, hardware is not infallible. We must design it to be robust and resilient and secure, but we must have the operational posture to be able to remediate and uh, you know, address issues as and when they occur in a good uh, period of time, which is mandated by regulation and security uh, posture by SLAs uh, and things of that nature. And so that is fundamentally baked into our development process and it's baked into our products and it's also baked into our offering to our customers where we offer them things like managed services, support and professional services to build systems uh, that in the real world can truly be mission critical and safety critical and operate in a secure environment, but have our support to our customers to remediate issues as, as and when they're found. So you you started to answer the question that I was going to ask next. Uh, is it up to the car manufacturer to figure out how uh, what to do when that hacking does occur? Or are there specific standards that they must rely on to whatever is supposed to happen? No, look, it's a shared responsibility. It's a, a responsibility not just of the automaker, but the suppliers of the technology that the automaker brings about in their vehicle. And there is a responsibility that lies on standard agencies and even government regulatory authorities, right? So it has got to be a partnership across all of those entities. The suppliers have to build robust, resilient software that is then provided to the OEMs and they have to integrate it in a manner that the end product is uh, not just safe and secure, but compliant to the regulation that is being set by standards bodies and by uh, jurisdictional authorities who mandate a certain level of uh, security for those products in those jurisdictions. Don't let me put you on the spot here. Do the suppliers know better than the automakers themselves what should be done? I think, look, hubris doesn't serve anybody right. So I don't think the point of view is that any one person knows it all or knows it better than the other uh, uh, you know, other party. I think we are all in, invested in this equally. At the end of the day, we are serving a customer. We as suppliers serve our customers through the OEM. The OEM serves an end customer that is the user or the driver of the vehicle or that's operating on a, a street where there are other constituents, right? So everybody in that equation has to take their responsibility very seriously. The government agencies have to take their responsibility on mandating certain requirements that doesn't put the citizens at harm. The standard agencies have to have the best standards that require adherence to that standard and the ability to audit and test for uh, compl uh, you know, compliance with the standards. And the suppliers have to build their product that way. The OEMs have to build their product that way. So this is not about one party being more responsible or culpable than the other. As long as we all take equal responsibility and play our role to the best that we can and in compliance with the, the state of the art of the technology and the standards that they exist, I think we'll collectively do a good job. Very good. Thank you very much, Abhijit. This has been very enlightening. Well, thank you, Rich, for the questions. It was great talking to you. Um, looking forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Avijit Sinha, the Chief Product Officer with Wind River, and I'm Rich Nass with Open Systems Media.